0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast, the floating on a stream of consciousness with George and David. It just so turns out that both of us may be a little bit under the weather, so I hope you'll still enjoy the stream and you'll still float with us because I think we're still capable of providing you with a lot of entertainment. That being said, David, for those people who may not
1: know who you are,
0: would you be so kind as to reintroduce yourself?
1: Sure, George, so thanks for having me back on. Um, I am the director of undergraduate research and creative activity at Christopher Newport University in Newport News, Virginia. Um, Been a professor of medieval and Renaissance literature, religion, and culture for about 30 years. Um, Came here five years ago to open up this office and uh, still teaching here as well. And uh, written a bunch of books. My most recent book is a book on the Seven Deadly Sins And uh, working on a new book on angels and demons and pop culture and uh, been kind of working a little bit more intensely on on getting some blog posts up. So posted one earlier this week and I've got another one that will be going up probably uh, maybe later this week, actually.
0: What was the one that you posted this week? On Wonder. about Wonder. Yeah. Maybe we could cover that a little bit. Like what what was it? What was it about? What, what was the body of the? What would you What did you talk about when you spoke about wonder?
1: Well, about the fact that we tend to, as a culture, um, look at only children as really being amazed by wonder. That that's something that we kind of lose when we when we grow up and when we become, become adults. And I think that's a that's a, a sad thing if that's true. Um, And so in the in the blog piece, I I mentioned, you know, my first exposure to uh, Paradise Lost, which we've talked about before, which was in college and just uh, blew me away and changed my life. And um, and then I talk a little bit about the sense of wonder that Adam and Eve have in that poem um, about the world around them, about each other. Um, and the, and the, the, the sense that Satan has in that poem as well about wonder and the connection between wonder and knowledge, um, that wonder really is what leads us to knowledge.
0: How, what do you, what do you think the relationship between curiosity and wonder is?
1: I mean, certainly it's, it's, it's very important, um, very, very closely linked and, uh, I think curiosity, you know, I I always tell my students who are doing research here that um, curiosity is the is the the most important aspect of the work that they're doing in research and creative activity, because that's going to lead them to exploration, which then leads to discovery and and knowledge. And so it's one of the it's one of the early stages. And I I think if you don't have that sense of curiosity, it's really hard to move forward from there. you know, I, 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 I do a, a, a talk for students on graduate school. A lot of them want to go to graduate school. And I always tell them that in order to go to graduate school, you have to have both the passion and the, the, the intellectual chops. Um, you can't have one and not the other. Um, you can't be very smart and have no passion about what you're doing. And you can't be incredibly passionate and not know how to, you know, open a can. Um, that's not going to work. Uh, And, you know, I I talk about students that I've had in the past who, you know, I I had a a student once years ago who was really quite intellectually gifted, a really talented writer and um, could write academic prose and and was just really top notch, but had zero passion about it. Um, And so quite honestly, reading her stuff was kind of boring. Um, you know it was grammatically correct and mechanically immaculate and and right on point but that didn't have any spark and uh you know the the flip side to that is students who would come to me and say oh i want to go to graduate school for english and i say oh yeah okay why i said well i really love to read and i'm like but that's not what we do <laughs> um you know in 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 academic study it's not just about reading texts it's it's about dissecting them um, you know, and I tell them that you're going to have to be able to cut up something that you really love. Um, it's one of the reasons why I, I have, over the course of my career, actually rarely taught the works that I love the most, because I can't see them cut up like that, um, because that's what you really have to do to study them. And, uh, you know, it's it's the it's the, the equivalent of, of what a biologist does in a, in a lab, right?
0: Yeah. I often think of, when I find something I read wonderful, or when I see something wonderful, it usually allows me to describe it in a in a way that is unique to me that re- yeah. that resonates with other people. And I'm curious if your students write something for you. Can you see the wonder in the in what they're writing?
1: Yeah, usually. I mean, it it it's there's usually a good sense that. That what they have discovered is is new and is enlightening to them um, sometimes it comes through in the writing sometimes it comes through in the way that they they discuss things in class um, you know I, I remember many years ago I was teaching a course in Shakespeare and um, I had a the, the I think it was the chair of the department had come to my class to observe me and um, in in the observation and 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 she even mentioned after the class that she was amazed she walked in to class at the beginning and there were a couple of students in the back of the room who were like arguing about one of the texts that we were reading and just she thought that was just the the most amazing thing because it showed how engaged they were and and i think that sense of curiosity comes through Then i mean it, it you know if you're and and i guess that was the difference for me between reading literature in high school and then reading literature in college, once that 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 curiosity switch got flipped for me, um, you know, I read the texts when I was in high school, but they didn't mean anything to me. Um, and I even remember reading um, in, in my my freshman year of college, we read Wuthering Heights, um, which is 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 really a fantastic novel, which I've ta- since taught and i'll never forget where i was sitting in the classroom when the teacher asked a question about something in the novel and this kid in class raised her hand and answered and i remember sitting there thinking to myself where the hell did she see that because i read the same book but i didn't have the sense of curiosity it just it didn't speak to me in the same way at that point
0: yeah it's it's interesting the way you talk about some literature I find myself, not only with literature, but science fiction seeing this whole world of wonder. And in that particular genre, I often find myself wondering, wow, how in the world did they build this world? Or how did yeah. they imagine this thing? But that that can translate into any genre. If, you, if you're if you looking at sure. literature, it's a short jump from the story to the author, to the time they live, to that which inspired them. And it's, it's just fascinating to me to be able to take a step back and see how wonderful it is. And sometimes I, I know that this is not the case for everybody, but I wonder why, speaking of wonder, I wonder why everyone can't find that in literature.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, mean, I, I wonder that myself, because I, as I say, I mean, I did not see it when I was in high school right? and I didn't even see it when I started college. Um, I didn't get it. And so, and I, I think that as a professor, that's given me a somewhat unique take, because when students say I don't get it, I, I kind of understand what they're talking about, because I was there. Um, you know, this wasn't something that was always a passion for me. And I understand that the, the, the years that I went through where I was just baffled by what I was reading. It just didn't mean anything. Um, and I think what it came down to for me was a realization that I didn't know how to read yet. And let me clarify that. I mean, I, I obviously knew how to read the words on the page, but I didn't know how to read a text and really understand it and interpret it and, and engage with it and make it mine. It remained for me at that time in my life pretty two-dimensional. It was just words on a page. Um, you know, I, I, I struggled in English in high school. And um, one year we, we were reading Dickens' Tale of Two Cities, and we were having quizzes, reading. They were just reading quizzes on the text, and I was just bombing them one after another because I just I either didn't read or I kind of read it. And and I remember we had a a, a a reading one weekend and we had to read the next three chapters or whatever it was. And I said, "Damn it, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this and I'm gonna do well on this test because i I I I mean I can read a text." And so I remember vividly laying down um, on my stomach in my bed with the book (laughs) and my headphones on listening to Boston's first album. (laughs) Shows you how long ago this is. And reading the three chapters or whatever it was of Tale Two Cities. And I read them. And I went into class on Monday. And I promptly failed the quiz. Because I didn't read the text. I was reading the words on the page. It wasn't getting through to me uh the way that it needed to and it was just it was for some reason there was just some kind of a block there that when i finally got to college and read chaucer and shakespeare and milton that that block for some reason was 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 raised i I, and i i've i've often thought is that you know what was it that made that happen at that time and you know, the only thing I can point to is I had to be ready and I wasn't ready until then. Um, you know, it reminds me of, 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 of a therapist who said to me once, you know, if you're not ready to deal with this at this point, it means you're not in enough pain, right? I mean, you have to get to the right point to be able to, to see something the way that you need to see it. And I wasn't at the right point in my life, I guess, probably maturity, uh, To be able to read those texts the way that I needed to, and you know, it was it 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 just it's funny because it I look back on it, it's like all of a sudden it really is like a light bulb went off, and uh, and and it's just the oddest thing, but that's the nature I think of of wonder and curiosity. I mean, I had the curiosity before then. I mean, I was always interested in reading science and history and nonfiction. It was literature that was the block for me. I couldn't get to that level. And there was something that occurred um, for me in my life, I guess, that allowed me to get access to my imaginative faculty at that point that I hadn't before.
0: That's really well put. And I, I think I can echo a similar sentiment in that when I was in high school, it was very difficult for me to even want to think about some of these books that were put on the reading list. And as you're talking, one thing that I, that really stood out to me that I thought was beautiful was that you didn't really read it. You saw words on the page, but you didn't really see the words. Like you saw the words on the page, but you didn't read it. And I'm, I'm wondering if maybe that's a, I think there may be a two fold analysis or a two prong strategy that might work. And I'm curious to get your thoughts. The first part may be teaching kids exactly what you said. There's a way to read it. And then there's a way to actually understand it. And if you look at the words on the page, that's one way of doing it. However, you're only going to see a one dimensional thing. When you look at the words on the page, you're not seeing the whole picture. Another idea may be this idea of the world we live in is a sort of prolonged adolescence and maybe you have to go through some tragedies in your life and maybe that's what turns on the light bulb is you have gone through these things and now you can recognize them in the story. What do you think about yeah, that? I
1: mean that is quite possible I mean I mean the, the second point that you make I find really interesting uh, prolonged adolescence because we do seem as a culture an um, America in particular we'll speak to to really prolong adolescence, and, and as a college professor, I see this and it's the constant lament, right, is that we're, we're, we, we, we pander to them and we treat them like children when they're adults in college. And then it comes to the point where they're seniors and it's time to, you know, put on your big boy pants and apply for a job. And they're a little bit lost. Um, I mean, we ran an event last week that students had to sign up to participate in. And one hour before the event, one of the students stopped by and said, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not going to do it. And I said, I, I, w- I wasn't, I happened to be in a meeting at the time. So my my assistant is the one who talked with the student. And she told me that afterward. And I said, well, that's not really going to work when he gets out into the real world, you know. Um, and so I think there's this sense that we keep our students, our kids in too much of a bubble. Um, now. I know that as a as a as an as a father as a parent um you know I get that we want to be protective especially in today's world which is just insane um but kids have to experience what reality is and um and 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 have those real experiences and experience you know if not tragedy then experience at least You know, setbacks that, you know, as as the great philosopher Mick Jagger said, you can't always get what you want. Right. Um, You know, and and to understand that sense that of of regret and and failure and learn from that and grow from that. Um, You know, as far as the first point that you made, I think the key there, quite honestly, is is engaging kids imaginations early on. Um, You know, my parents were high school graduates um, not not intellectuals in any sense um they 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 liked the arts but it was a superficial like they didn't really delve because they they didn't have the the ability to do that but growing up as a kid i don't remember my parents reading to me when i was a kid i don't remember it happening um, i don't think they did um, which seems odd looking back but i i have no memory of it and, I mean, my own daughter, who's, who's now 19, I mean, you know, we read to and with her from the moment she was born. Um, and I think that that engaging a kid's imagination is vital. Um, and we're seeing some of that, the fallout from the pandemic when it comes to this mm-hmm. now, right? Yeah. That kids were missing. There was a missing piece of the puzzle during the pandemic when they were all locked up in their rooms, and um one of those pieces I think is that engaging with imagination, particularly as it's connected to the real world, the natural world, um, that they, they lost out on that. Uh, and as a result now we're playing a bit of catch up
0: yeah I I think. It's really sad to me what happened during that time as far as education. If if you look at imagination or reading or just the math, play between all, children, math. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know. And I I, mean, I, we're going to be dealing
1: with it for many years, I think, going forward here. Um, yeah. And we're already seeing it at my level, at the college level, um, that the students are coming in and and their skill level is not where it should be because they had two years of, you know, learning over zoom from their bedrooms um and it was not the same experience and uh you know and, and and that's not to blame teachers they did the best that they could through that period my god it was just hellish and they did whatever they could to make it work but it was not the same kind of experience for the kids and the teachers who were forced into that position really majority of them had had no training in doing that kind of a shift you know we asked these teachers to pivot over a weekend basically in March yeah. of 2020 from being traditional in classroom face-to-face teachers to all of a sudden okay now you're going to teach on Zoom um or whatever platform they were using uh you know and and this, I think it was especially damaging for the really young kids uh because i mean the kids who were the, in kindergarten first second grade it was tough because they they couldn't sustain on Zoom um, for for any period of time the way they might have in in a physical classroom. And so their days were shorter, uh, lessons were shorter. But, I mean, I'm I'm hopeful that that's going to, we're going to write that at some point. I think it's going to take a while, though. And we have to acknowledge that. And in, in higher ed, I know we've begun to, to acknowledge that, you know, it isn't, what it was. These students didn't have the same experience that students did five years ago um, that we were seeing. And we have to account for that. We can't, it, it can't be business as usual.
0: Yeah. It, I think it's, it's, there's so much there, not only in the, in the, ideas of English or math or science, but in the ideas of emotional learning and being together with other people, like that particular time of development for emotional bonding, be it with an an adult, uh, a teacher or other students that that's difficult to make uh,
1: up the emotional maturity. It's, Mm -hmm. it's such a key vital part of, of who we are and what makes us who we are and what makes us, prepared to be able to engage with a text like Tale Two Cities or Wuthering Heights um, because it, it comes through then also an experience. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I do study abroad trips here and, you know, I'm dealing with students, many of them who've, who, never mind, they've never been abroad, many of them never been on a plane. And, you wow. know, at first my reaction was like, what? And then my colleague reminded me that, you know, they were all in high school during the pandemic, and they would have had high school trips, and all those things were canceled, so they didn't get the opportunity to do those things. And so, for many of them um, who are going on these trips with us, it's their either their first time on a plane or, or their first time abroad, or you know their first time having any kind of an experience like this. And again, we can't. It can't be business as usual. We can't just assume. Oh well, they'll be fine. Um, you know, it it doesn't work that way.
0: What do you? Are there some sort of remedies? Like, how how do you possibly catch somebody up from two years of of not being? I don't being... think you can.
1: I, I I think you can just. The only way that you you can't. I mean, you know, you can't rush emotional maturity, right? I mean, right. Neuropsychology, George, and you know, it doesn't work <laughs> that way, <laughs> right? True. Um, but I think it's about in, allowing them to have experiences. Um, you know, making those experiences available to them, but also. It's also about motivating and encouraging them to engage in those experiences. You know, they became so used to sitting on their beds in their bedrooms that, you know, we get them here now at college and some of them, they don't want to do anything um, because they were used to not doing anything. And we've got all this stuff going on. And so, you know, in trying to engage them and encourage them to, to participate in things, um, is, it, it, it's, it's very important. It's also very difficult um because i'm i'm always been of the of the mind that i don't want to require students to attend things um i want them to go because they want to go and uh you know i have the same philosophy about class quite honestly you know if you don't want to come to class don't come to class i don't care you're not hurting (laughs) me you know um i want you there because you want to be there and so you know maybe that's pie in the sky but um there are points at which you do have to kind of push them a little bit, especially the group that we have now. Because, as I say, they're just you know used to sitting in their room and everything was fine. The world came to them through through their computer screen, um, and now suddenly we're saying, you know what? It's time for you to go out and see the world. Um, you know, they're not. It's not going to keep coming to you, and a lot of them are. I think are struggling with that transition.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. I'm I'm curious if how how this changes the. St- We've talked a little bit about how this changes the psychology of the student. I- I'm curious if you have any experience with the type of person that's now coming. Is this is this kind of a, a, um, a thinning out? It, it, are there more people that are going to college that are interested in college? Or is it just business as usual? I'm wondering, has this changed any way the type of person that is going to college?
1: It, it has changed a, a, a bit. We're starting to see that. Um you know, we we I mean let, let's let's backtrack. I mean, we live in an anti-intellectual culture, yes, right um, I mean, you know, it, it it's amazing that that we can do a podcast like this where we talk about ideas like this and 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 we have people listening, um, <laughs> because we don't live in a culture that encourages this kind of of discussion and this kind of thinking. And um, we've seen the effects of that. For many years in higher ed that said we still live in a time when the college degree is now an expected credential um it it, 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 a college a bachelor's degree is the new high school diploma yeah um and quite honestly a master's degree is now the new bachelor's degree everyone is expected to have a master's now it's 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 not a positive thing necessarily. And I really think it isn't, but what that has meant is, you know, for decades, we've had people who've gone on to college because it was just the next logical thing to do after high school. And um, so I would say, you know, at my institution, which which is, uh, you know, of course, better than most. I <laughs> absolutely, it, if our president's listening, um, <laughs> we the, the the large majority of our students are here because they want to be here and they want an education and they want to go to college and they want to learn some are here because it was clearly the next thing to do after high school um and and i i i i'm not referring exclusively to the students who come in with undeclared majors who unfortunately stereotypically for years have been looked down upon by many people because they don't know what they want to do. And, um, you know, quite honestly, when I meet a student at an admissions event and I say, what are you interested in studying? And they say, I don't know. I say, that's the best thing Um, because you want to go to college, but you don't know what you want to study. So you're open to anything. Um, You're going to take classes in a bunch of different areas. and, And, you know, when you hit on the right thing, all of a sudden, boom, you're going to feel it. You'll know it. Oh, that's what happened to me. Um, you'll know it. So, I, you know, I, I think that we are seeing an increasing number of students who are taking time off after high school, um, intending to go to college um, eventually. Uh, whether or not they end up doing that, time will tell. Um, a lot of more and more students are taking what what used to be called a gap year, and they're still calling it a gap year, where students, you know, after high school take a year off to, to do something else and then go back school and come to college um of course the the whole concept of a gap year it dates back to the renaissance uh when you know when when a student men of course only who finished college uh the 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 father would send the student on a on a on a, a tour um you would take a year and and go and visit Basically, all the places that you had studied. Uh, Milton did that after after he finished college. He, he went on a tour of of Europe and went to go see Greece and and, and Rome and all these places that he had studied. Uh, and, you know, I think that 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 is something which is uh, an interesting phenomenon. And we'll see how it pans out, whether or not students return. Mm-hmm. Um, enrollments across the board, I think, are down a little bit. Um, not as much as I think many of us had thought they would end up being, um, you know, of course the elephant in the room is, is the the evils of, of the tuition and, and the, the, the financial aid system, um, which is just an absolute mess. But, uh, college is expensive. Yeah. It's, it's absurdly expensive. It's too expensive. Um, it should not be this expensive. But the reality of it is, and I have to remind students of this whenever we have discussions about this, you got to remember most of your tuition money is not going to pay my salary. Your tuition money is going to physical plant to run the lights and the air conditioning and the heat and to maintain these buildings um, and to pay for the services. You know, so many of our college campuses now look like, look like resorts um, because they have to attract students. Uh, you know, and and so somebody's got to pay for that, and that's coming out of your tuition money, and uh, you know, so I, I, we, 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 in some ways, our our priorities are a little screwed up. Um, you know, I, I, I imagine at, at many institutions, the operating budget for academics is not the highest part of the budget. Um, it, it, it and. Something's wrong with that, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it should be. We're an academic institution. You know, I always remember there's a the 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 Marx Brothers film Horse Feathers, which one of my favorites, um, which is about a college, and Groucho is made president of the college, and they're they're losing money and and they they just they're in serious trouble. So he says to the the board. At one point, he says, "If we got a, a a football stadium," and they say, "Yes." And he says, We "If we got a, a a college, you know, college buildings," and he said, "Yes." And he says, "It's settled. Tomorrow we start carrying down the college, um, <laughs> you know, because what's the priority, right?" I mean, and that's the, the 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 satire in that film is that it's all about the football team, and that's not easy thirties. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. I. I was rereading um, the Evolution of Civilations by Carol Quigley, and he makes a pretty interesting point that I think fits the moments we're in and he talks about when the instrument becomes the instant when the instrument be- gets, becomes institutionalized or the yeah. instrument becomes the institution, the instrument no longer works right. and whether it's I think that COVID has revealed that in some way or caused that in some way and i've I've been on top of that I've been hearing some other people in the world of academics begin thinking about the idea of there being more schools for, you know, academics, college being for academics, and then there being some apprenticeships for schools, yeah. you know, and I, I, sometimes I'm torn. technical
1: schools, thank that, you,
0: yeah. I couldn't yeah. think of that word, and yeah. sometimes I get torn, and part of my brain harkens back to the idea of, of like the communist systems were like okay you are chosen to go to this school you're chosen mm-hmm. to go to this school but i i would be lying if i said there wasn't some merit in it maybe if we just talked about college maybe not being for everybody or maybe right. getting out of the way what what are your thoughts on that yeah
1: i mean i mean i've always said i mean you know everybody doesn't have to go to college um, you know we need people to do jobs that that are you know in all sectors of society and, and a lot of that doesn't require a college degree and a college education, and there's nothing wrong with that, Um, and that's why it's, you know, it's always been my personal philosophy to really get to know um, the staff where I work on a, on a, on a, on a name basis to be able to talk with them, and, you know, it's, it's funny because um, a couple of years ago, I, I was having a discussion with a colleague telling him a story about Uh, how I was talking to one of the housekeepers and the housekeeper had said something like, you know, I never talked to anybody like this, any faculty like this. And um, it's just, you know, there's too much of a class system. And um, you know, it just, it goes back to to the story. I think I told you about, you know, when I was on that job interview in in San Francisco, I mean, you know, uh, we're all human beings. And we're all trying to pull our weight in this in this uh world and trying to survive and make a living um you know some of us are, are phds who teach at harvard and some of us are you know housekeepers who clean rooms um and i don't think there's anything less important about one than there is about the other um, they are both important jobs, and they both deserve respect. And uh, that's just something which I think some people have lost sight of, that, um, you know, the folks who are doing the the so-called unskilled labor, um, who is going to do that? You don't want to do it. Um, and so you should, you should give them some respect for doing that. Uh, you know, the guy who picks up my garbage in the morning, um, you know, more power to him. I don't want to do that job. Um, you know, I, 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 I gotta give him credit for doing it.
0: Yeah. I, it brings up the idea when we talk about class systems, what comes to mind is Aldous Huxley because he wrote in Brave New World this idea of alphas and gammas but then in a similar book The Island he wrote about this world in which everyone regardless of their role is somewhat equal and i'm it's fascinating to come from the same mind these two different ideas of of how that could happen i'm, yeah. I'm curious what 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 are some are, are there some strategies we could use to take maybe the the um stigma or the idea of worth out of jobs, or is that just human nature?
1: Well, it's ego, right? Oh, it's it, a great it, point. It's removing ego, which is yeah. is tough. Um, you know, whether you're a Freudian or a Jungian, um, it's difficult to 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 set that aside. And uh, you know, I think for for people who go through um, Jungian analysis, which is what I've dealt with in my life, you know, I mean this. The, the point at which you are able to become objective about your own self and ego and see it from outside is one of those moments where you go, holy cow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now I understand and I understand how I need to really treat other people because I can move away from it all being about me. Um, but that's you know it, it it's it's a journey to get there i mean that's not going to happen overnight and it's not going to happen for a lot of people right and so i think you know part of it is is a reevaluation of what what the worth question means um you know we 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 like to throw around and say well everybody has worth you know but we don't treat everybody that way um so it sounds good you know it's a good bumper sticker <laughs> but it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't mean anything unless you actually put it to practice. So sh- you know, show me how you're doing that. Show me how you are actually um manifesting that thought in reality, not just, you know, that it's words. And you know, I, I guess that's part of the nature of 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 politics, right? Is is a lot of it is words. I mean, I'm I'm writing something for for the next blog post on division and divisiveness, because what's going on in the country right now really scares the hell out of me. And, um, the, the political rhetoric, which is just completely out of control and is so disconnected from reality. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And and I I just, I, you know, I was telling somebody this morning, I'm so glad that I did not, go the route that I originally had planned on taking in my life when I first started college, because I think I would have been miserable, which was working in law and, and politics. Um, and it was, it was when I did an internship at a law firm the summer after freshman year that I realized it wasn't for me, um, because there was too much in it that smelled of deception and hypocrisy and double standards. And I just, that, that just, I, I couldn't do that. And, um, you know, I think that that's, so, you know, going back to what you were saying, I think part of it is is how do we, and let's go back to kids, right? Yeah. How do we show kids and talk to kids about the, the worth of human beings, regardless of who they are? Because that's where it starts, right? Um, if kids are taught that when they're young, it's going to stick with them. But if and here we are again, you know. But if they're sitting in their in their rooms on Zoom, they're not going to learn that because they're not really interacting with people. I think a lot of it is you got to interact with people. You 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 just you have to, and and that's you know I that's why virtual reality and all these other things just really, I, I think is, is a, a bad way to go. Um, it just further disconnects us from each other. Um, yeah, it, you know, I mean, going back to what we were talking about weeks ago, I mean, you know, D.H. Lawrence, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's about I'm making thinking. those connections. And that's what, that's what being a human being is.
0: Yeah, I agree. It seems that there's this false promise of tech, you know, and I I think that it probably comes from a great spot of like, wow, wouldn't it be great if we could yeah. just get this message out to people who are living in a third world country and they could have exposure to some of the world's greatest teachers and they could learn. It's a beautiful idea. and yeah. Everybody wants it. However, we got to be honest with ourselves and saying that first off, who's to say the education, the Western education is for everybody. Our history right. isn't their history. And maybe this idea of you know, the Fukuyama's idea of the end of history was, was a mistake. You know, the end of history says that everyone should live by the Western world when yeah. every culture has their own way up.
1: Well, it's a relativist perspective, right? I mean, it, right. It, I mean, we see this going back centuries with the, with the Catholic church, right? I mean, you know, yeah. you come in and you, 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 you come into these, these savages, quote unquote, and you, <laughs> you know, whip a little Christianity on them and, and, Show them how to be, you know, how to, how to set up a democracy and open a McDonald's and everything will be fine. Um, you know, and, and we've seen. I mean, that is not true. It doesn't work that way.
0: Open a McDonald's um, and
1: everything will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, funny. that's what that, thats the thing that I always remember about when the Soviet Union fell, <laughs> right. when the first McDonald's opened in Moscow, and there was a a, a, a an overhead shot that was on CNN of people lined up around the block to buy a Big Mac. And it costs like a week's wages. I was like, what the hell is this? What what is this teaching? Um, You know, it it just, it it. so I think you're right. You know, this, and again, we are back back with ego, right? I mean, it's the ego of the Western mind that, you know, we've got it all figured out and our way is the best way. And so this is what you need to, I mean, and we've seen this in recent years in the Middle East, right? I mean, Iraq, Afghanistan, which we, you know, we as the us and the western world have gone into and and oh we're going to we're going to modernize them and we're going to bring them up to date and then the moment we leave it all falls apart and goes back to what it was because that's not who they are yeah that's yeah. not who they are we have to be who we are can't be somebody else and so you can't go in and say you know we're going to we're going to whip a little bit of western culture on you and boy you'll be enlightened and you'll be so much happier that's not who they are and so they end up just being miserable and end up falling back to you know the old ways which from our perspective again relatively is 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 not good or not up to is not modern enough um but what's there to say what's so great about about modernity i mean you know i mean you say i mean technology right i mean technology first introduced is almost always introduced for a positive use almost always one of the first things that happens is it's perverted for something that it's not really designed to do so i mean even if you think back to the earliest days of print and film right some of the earliest printed books were pornographic. Some of the earliest films, once film was invented, were stag films, pornography, right? So there's always this kind of twist. And I mean, if you look at the internet, which, I mean, it seems there's no going back from, you know, the initial dream of the internet was, oh, well, everyone will be connected. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, it was a utopian idea, right? And you look at what it's become and particularly with the the rise, of course, of social media, you know, it, it, holy cow. I mean, you know, it, I, I often wonder, and I, I heard him speak years ago, um, Tim Berners-Lee, who who really was responsible for kind of inventing the World Wide Web back in the 1990s, um, you know, what he thinks today. And I, I have read recently that he, he has basically lamented it and said it was a mistake, Um, that, that it it didn't, you know, it, it, the, the intention is not the reality of what happened. Um, and, you know, we could talk about that with just about any technology from guns to automobiles, right? Um, you know, what's the intention and then what does it grow to become and what's the reality? I don't know. Uh, you know, I was, I saw something online the other day was a picture from the 1950s of this, um, it was, a, it was a car cradle for kids that basically sat in the back window of the car and the kids laying in the cradle, baby. <laughs> it's like, you know, we would never allow that now. But the thing was that cars, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was nuts then too. Don't get me wrong, but cars then, I mean, they, they went 30 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour, uh, you know, and now it's, it's, it's lunacy if you're on the road, um, you know, I, mean, I, I I don't know it, it. So technology has got it's a it's a double edged sword, right? Um, it can be really wonderful, and as with with most things, it can be also used for really horrific things. And we saw that with the development of atomic weapons in the in the 40s and 50s, right? And all the the great writing by people like Oppenheimer and Einstein. If you go back and look at what their reflections were on these things. I mean, Einstein warned us. He said, "This is a this is not the way to go. This is a bad way to go." Um, you know, and Oppenheimer famously, you know, when the after the first test said, "You know, I, I am death," right? Quoting the yeah. the yeah. Gita. Um, it, it it's just uh, it's one of those things I think where we sit back and and we need to sit back and look at what we've done and assess. And because technology has encouraged us to move so fast. We don't have any time to do that anymore. And I think that's a problem. And I've talked about that a lot in my writing. I talk about that all the time in my teaching. You got to slow the hell down and notice what's going on and assess what's going on and digest it. Um, You know, when I used to teach philosophy, we used to talk about the fact that science can move very fast. And philosophy moves very slowly. And so there are a lot of things that we can do scientifically that we haven't figured out ethically whether we should be doing or not, because we haven't given ourselves the time to really reflect on it. Uh, you know, cloning is one of the big ones, right? right? I mean, you know, human beings have been cloned. Yeah, I'm sure, right? It's happened. Um, now, ethically, we 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 still are discussing it because that's a difficult topic, and. Philosophically and ethically, and, and and that kind of thinking takes a while to work through. Uh, you know, but now you know the next new thing is out. I mean, you know, the one that I use all the time with students now is driverless cars. Right? We can do that. Should we? I don't know. You know.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good point. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do something. And I, you, you brought up a point about philosophy and science. And I, I think, you know, when when I was reading your book and when we covered the seven deadly sins, it seems like this was a time when science and spirituality were married. They were they're together. Mm-hmm. And it seems that like that divorce of those two things has made people move at the speed of science or has allowed people to move fast and break stuff. When you divorce this part, of a whole, you're only seeing this part, and you're forgetting about the whole. Like it's not, it's not whole. And you think of the word holy, you know, like this, this is not holy together anymore. Yeah. And when it's when it's moving so far apart, it, it, it doesn't work.
1: Well, I mean, it's a separation that really started in in yeah. the the early Middle Ages of the profane from the sacred, right? The sacred oh, and profane, God. Right. So, I mean, it's <laughs> it's that separation of of ourselves. It's a bifurcation of who we are because we are both. Yep. But we tend not to look at them as a whole anymore. We look at them as separate pieces. Um, and that is not, not, it's not beneficial because it, it then prevents us from understanding something that is scientific and saying, yeah, okay, but should we be doing that? I don't know if we should be doing that. You know, yeah, you can do that, but, um, you know and and i think about it in terms of 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 lessons learned when we're growing up um and and i mean the one that's coming into mind is something as silly as you know yeah you can stick your finger in the light socket you probably shouldn't do that um go ahead you know uh but so so this 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 trial and error and this, I think a lot of it comes down to experience, right? Experiencing the world. And that's one of the things that we hear so often about these folks who are developing a lot of these new technologies is they are not locked in enough to what's going on in the world and what the world actually is ready for and needs. And instead it's, well, we can do this you know, we don't need that. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 one of my favorite pieces that I think we've talked about before is, is, uh, is that essay by Vannevar Bush called, as we may think, 1945, um, it's a brilliantly written essay as is so much of what Bush wrote. And, um, you know, he, he basically predicts the internet in that, in that essay. And, uh, in the essay, he says, this is gonna be wonderful because it will free our minds up to do the high, kind of higher level thinking that we were meant to do as human beings. So we'll have the internet, we can look up trivial facts, everything will be right at our fingertips. We don't have to worry about memorizing all these things anymore because it's gonna be right there. We can use our minds for more higher level thinking. And you know, when I read that essay with students, we get to that point in the essay and i say so how's that going for you you know uh, what are you doing with all the all the time that the internet has freed you up uh from are you are you engaging in higher level thinking or are you you know binge watching squid games um (laughs) you know it it, it's just we 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 missed the boat on this i think we really did um the internet's a great tool great tool it can be incredibly helpful Uh, No doubt, no argument. But I think we're missing part of the initial rationale for why it was developed. You know, which, if you go back to Bush's essay, is this, you know, well, it'll allow us to do the kind of thinking that we really should be doing as as humans. And um, the speed issue is just so problematic for me. That uh, you know, and I see it in my students. is is just they're moving so fast, and they don't have time to really reflect on things. And you know, w- one of the assignments that I give in one of my I, I teach a course called Hamlet in Hyperspace. It's a it's a course on writing and technology, and it deals with all these issues about technology in the modern world, and in particular how it intersects with the history of writing. Hmm. Um, But one of the very first assignments I give them is I give them each an index card on which I've written the call number for a book in the library. Um, (laughs) Ostensibly, it's a book that's in their major, in their area. And they have to go and find the book. And they have to look at all the books that are on the shelf around it. And they have to write a short sort of reflection piece on what it was that they discovered. And I, I tell them, you know, take the book off the shelf. Open it up, feel the paper, smell it, look at it, really take some time. And, and it's amazing over the years how many students have come back and say that was the assignment that they remember. Um, because for many of those students, they don't go to the library to take out books because everything's online. And they always will, will, will pick up on, you know, they, they not necessarily the book that I assigned them, but some book that was near it on the shelf. You're yeah. Like, wow, I didn't know that that existed. And, you know, I just remember as, as, a, as a student in college, the joy of going into the library and going to a shelf because I was looking for a particular book and then looking at what's all around it, what's here. And you lose that when you do the when you do things like this on the Internet. It's serendipity, right? It's the joy of serendipity, of, of finding something accidentally that brings you um, joy, and you don't find that when you're searching on the internet because it's it's too focused, right? I'm rambling. Yeah. No, really it's it's so that raft true. Down the stream, aren't we?
0: Yeah, we're getting to some <laughs> some fun little some rapids over here. You know, I always think of um, the Phaedrus, Plato's Phaedrus, when you talk about writing and technology and how there's a section in there where they get to toth, the paragon of inventors, invents writing, and he is told that this technology that you think is going to help mankind is actually going to be a hindrance because they'll no longer need the experience to understand like you think you're helping. And it gets to the idea of with every bit of technology we're given, it's a trade-off. Like we lose something. Too many people forget that we're, we're giving something up in order to get something new. And the newness, the novelty of this new thing, which is often a poor copy of the real thing, you know, we don't we don't understand that until it's too late.
1: It's well, I mean, it's important. I think when you are going to engage in something new like that, to do a, a sort of a cost benefit analysis, right? What what am I going to gain? Right. What am I going to lose by doing it this way? Um, now, some people would say that 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 virtual reality, as an example, is an incredible you know incredible tool. And yes, for some people, it can be. Um, you know, I mean, if if you could go. Um, and I, I use that I use that word, but it's metaphorically right. I mean, if you put on Oculus virtual reality glasses and you can hike up the, the Mount Everest and do that that way, fantastic. If you are able, physically able and financially able, to do something like that in real life, do that first right but i mean if if the only way you can do it is to do it with the glasses then sure um and you know we've seen a lot of use of virtual reality glasses with um patients who have physical disabilities or you know and can't do and yeah that's really amazing um and, and and you know um there's your kitty um it's uh it it reminds me of the debate over cochlear implants Mm. right that that there are a lot of people in the deaf community who are completely opposed to cochlear implants and think that it's just completely it that they actually think it's unethical um and for people in the hearing community they look at that and they say well what i mean why wouldn't you want to hear you know i mean we can do that we have the technology and so we, we could do that for you and it will improve your life and we're back with the relativism again right i don't know what their life is like they yeah. may be damn happy the way that they are um and so i think we need to take a step back at times and just think about the effects of a lot of these uh technological advancements as we like to call them right is it really an advance or is it just a, a a movement you know um are we really making progress or is it just the the next new thing uh yeah. it's just i, I don't know it, it it worries me i mean I, I i i like technology i mean i like a lot of the things that it's brought and i i've been very engaged with a lot of it um, but by the same token, I mean, you know i I missed my record collection, which I got rid of because you know, we didn't need it anymore because everything's on 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 an iPad or an iPod or an iPhone, and, uh, you know, it's all electronic now, and so we don't need the physical records anymore. And of course, you know, the interesting thing is now we're seeing a resurgence in records. Uh, people are collecting them again and buying them. I was at Barnes & Noble the other day and a new <laughs> album cost $32, George. Wow. $32. Wow. I used to buy that's records crazy. for $5 at Alexanders. Yeah. $32 Bro, you... for an album. Holy cow. I wonder that's what a record crazy. player cost. Right? I, I a record no player would you. probably cost mm-hmm. not even much more than $32. That's <laughs> the odd thing about it, right? Right. Um, you know, unless you want to get something that's really good, but but, uh, I, I mean, I miss that. But there is this. Th- there is an interesting movement toward moving back towards the analog. I, was, I saw a story on the news the other day that uh, apparently coming out of the pandemic, there's a real resurgence in the purchase of film cameras mm. that people are going back to shooting on film and not shooting digitally, that they want to do that again. I don't know where they're getting the film from because you can't buy it <laughs> in stores. You must have to order it online but um, you know there's, that there's a real, a real movement towards that. And I guess the price of used cameras has really skyrocketed as a result.
0: Yeah, I think that there's something about getting back to basics that people are finding. And maybe that's them just refining the humanity. Maybe it took this world of digital illusion in order for you to see that, hey, maybe the real thing is, is a little bit more authentic. When, yeah. I, when I look at technology versus experience, I see the same kind of dichotomy with, you know, it's, a, it's an old kind of a trope where people say, oh, I like the book better than the movie. Yeah. Well, I like the real experience better than the digital thing. And yeah. think about all the people like I'm sure all of us have read a book and then talked to somebody who's watched the movie or vice versa. And there's so much that gets left out of the movie. The same mm-hmm. is true for the virtual virtual experience. It's going to be not enough memory. There's not enough stuff to put in there. There, you don't get to see the eagle that flies by with the snake in his mouth, or there's all these things that only you would get to see during the experience that would be unique right. to you versus right. the the Big Mac that you can get in every state in every country that looks the same. And I, maybe if we change the incentive structure, maybe it's the incentive structure that is causing technology to be more limiting. You know, I, I don't know how that would change, but yeah, I, I think you can see similarities with everything around us that's continuing to happen, this idea of specialization and
1: this idea yeah. it's
0: almost like a theft in some ways, it seems like to me.
1: Well, I mean, it, it a lot of it comes down to something that you mentioned earlier, which is I mean, looking at the at the worthiness yeah. of human beings, looking at the worthiness of a real experience, right? So, so reevaluating the worth of these things. Is, is something that we would be well to do.
0: Yeah. What? There, imagine a man or a woman that saves up their whole life to go to have an experience. Like how much have they built up that experience yeah. and how much more is it worth to them and how much have they studied because they couldn't afford it in the beginning? Yeah. How much research have they done? And then that, it seems to me that that particular experience becomes much more worthwhile because it's something you have given a lot of thought to, and you've put a lot of time into it. It's something you want to do. Now we're back to the kids, some that want to go to school and some that just want to go and have the virtual reality experience.
1: Well, but and let's face it. I mean, modern life is too easy. It's very easy. Right. It's too easy. And, um, you know, the, the idea that we have to to work towards something like that is uh, is, is is not common anymore. Um, you know, we, we can get things too readily and too easily. Um, you know, I mean, I'm a I'm a book guy. And the 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 joy of going to you know used bookstores, hunting for things and discovering things, I mean it's largely been shot to hell because of the internet. Again, you know you can get anything you want easily enough. Uh, you know one of my 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 favorite writers is uh, is he became a good friend Tim Sandlin. Uh, Tim uh, lives in Wyoming, and I remember I mean I've always wanted a first edition of his first novel. I don't have one. Um, I, I bought it when it was originally a paperback. That's how I discovered it. And um, it was out in hardcover. I've never actually seen one. And I always look when I'm in used bookstores hoping that I'm going to find one. Now, I can easily purchase one online, but I don't want it that way. I, I want to find it some, you know, the, it's the joy of discovery again, you know, curiosity, right? Yeah. Um, that I'm going to find that someday in some bookstore. It's going to just be sitting there on the shelf. And I go, wow. Oh, yeah, I agree.
0: I, I'm hopeful that people that are taking a moment to watch us find some joy in what we're talking about. I, I, I really admire how we we can start off with an idea of what we want to talk about, but then we just float on down the stream into the world <laughs> of whatever makes us feel awesome. So it's Agreed. really fun, David. This is so much it fun, is. and I feel it, it's helped soothe my soul a little bit. So before we go, as we're landing this plane here, is there what what is it you got coming up? And um, what are you excited about?
1: Well, um, what am I excited about? I mean, I'm working on some writing, which is going well, finally. And I'm excited about that. Um, I'm excited about my teaching. Um, I'm I'm teaching an introduction to museum studies course this semester and prepping for the advanced course in the spring where my students will actually curate an in-person show so I've been collecting things for them to to curate, which uh, when that time comes, it'll be interesting. We'll have to discuss that. And actually, yeah, we'll, be, we'll have some of them on because I that think would be, that would be really interesting.
0: That would be great. Um,
1: so I really enjoy that. I mean, I enjoy I enjoy being around people. You know, it's what we were talking about before. I mean, the interaction with people is what makes it for me.
0: I think that's probably one of the reasons why you're so good at your job and you have so many oh, students that you. respect you. And where can people find you? What's the name of, you
1: want to give out my, your website? My uh, website's david a solomon s a l o m o n uh, dot com, and uh, you can find the links to all my books, and the blog, and uh, speaking engagements, and consulting, and all kinds of uh, other Easter eggs.
0: Absolutely, and those those links will be in the show notes below, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for spending time with david and i we had a blast doing it and thank you for everyone who participated in the conversation and we will see you again next tuesday aloha